Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 106 being recorded on Sunday, October 29th. 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Wow, what an interesting week it was in the world of retail and e-commerce. It really showed uh, this tale of two cities that we've been talking about, Jason. You had JCPenney pre-announce a miss, and then their stock took a 15% haircut and put pressure on all the other department stores' stocks, kind of not news you want to have heading into the critical fourth quarter. Then uh, over in the – so that's the analog side of the story. So so that's one of our cities. And then the other cities, which I call Digital City, uh, it had – we had Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Uh, and it's really weird, but this, this, this quarter they lined up their announcements all on Thursday. And each one of them really handily blew away expectations. So uh, Friday, Amazon spiked $128, uh, and it's about a $1,000 stock before then, and now it's about a a $1,200 stock. That's a 13% jump in one day, which is the most of that group of folks that that announced Google uh, and Microsoft and Amazon. And – you know what happened is there was an acceleration in the third quarter of both growth and margins that stunned many Amazon watchers. But for our listeners, uh, it probably wasn't a surprise because we have really been seeing some bold moves from Amazon, especially since Prime Day this quarter. So, in fact, Amazon usually falls within this guidance that they set the quarter before, and then they really blew that away by about 5% this time. In this episode, we are going to do a quick take in dig into the reasons why. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. So today we're going to spend the bulk of the show digging into the Amazon's third quarter because we think it's really important for everyone in the industry to understand the dynamics that are setting up uh, in both the online and offline world as we head into the fourth quarter. Um Jason, how are you doing? I am doing terrific. It was an exciting week with all these announcements going on. Um, and I'm a little sleep deprived because I had to get up at 3 a.m. Uh, in New York to get my iPhone orders in. I did the same thing. How did it? Um, I know about half the people I know, they did the, the uh, within the set of people that did 3 a.m., only about half got an order off. Were you able to get a, an order in? I did. I would give it, uh, I was one for two. Uh, so I, I was uh, intending to order a phone for myself and my wife, and I should mention, uh, in my wife's case, it's kind of part of her birthday package, so it was somewhat more critical. Um, and my wife and I are both in their uh, annual upgrade program, which, uh, like, frankly, the main reason we're in that program is because you're supposed to get priority for the the new phones. So we had both pre-qualified for the next phone earlier in the week so we did like half the the ordering process they let you do a week in advance uh got up at three o'clock um was not able to order my wife's because it turns out you have to do it through the store 
Um, and the app did not like me changing Apple IDs on my phone to her Apple ID to place her order. So uh, kind of suckily, I had to use my Apple ID and place my order, which went super smooth. And I had my phone coming on Friday. Um, and then I had to call my wife, who was sound asleep, and wake her up and talk her through placing the order on her phone. And she was also successful, but she got like a two to three week delivery window. So now I'm... I'm dreading the fact that my phone's going to come on Friday and her birthday phone is like going to come a week or two after that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was able to get, um, I had to order four. So I've got a, all of my phones have been waiting for the 10. So uh, I got two off on Verizon pretty quickly and then two on Apple. And it'll be interesting. They all say Friday. So we'll see who can live up to those expectations. Um, it's funny. I'm not in that program. And most of the people I know that are in that Apple program had a trouble uh, with the ordering. So, <laughs> and they all were so excited beforehand because they're like, yeah, they let me put it in my cart and it's all ready. And I just have to press a button. Yeah. So it, to you the guys credit, got I would say in past phones, it actually has worked out in our advantage. But I. I would tend to agree. Right now, it, it did not feel like it was an expedited deal this time around. And it seems like usually using the store worked better because they, they would bring up the APIs that the store uses fast. And then the website was second. But it seemed like this time they switched those for some reason. Um, another weird observation there. Yeah, I tend to be hitting refresh on both just to – I actually had two iOS devices. One logged in as my wife. One logged in as me. And then, uh, and then the web browser, and we ended up using the store app in both cases. Yeah, I think the cloud got you. Yeah, the, the iCloud is, uh, yeah, it's tricky. We we curse it daily. Well, speaking of Apple, before we jump into Amazon, you did. I saw on the Twitterverse you did a really cool visit to the the new flagship store there in Chicago. Yeah, just just last week they opened their their new store in Chicago. They've always had a big store on Michigan Avenue. And so they moved the store a few blocks and opened uh, the new the new Apple Store concept, which they call the Town Square concept. Um, so there, there have been a few of these. I want to say the first one might have been in Memphis. Uh, there definitely is one in San Francisco. And all the new stores that are open are, are based on this, this, this uh, new concept. Um, but this is the first one in the Midwest. And it's supposed to be their Midwest flagship, and it is it is a very impressive store. Uh, the The differences between a traditional Apple store and these Town Square stores is, I'm going to call it subtle. Um, you know, this is largely the reimagining of the Apple store under uh, Angela Earnhardt, who used to be the CEO at Burberry. She she came over to Apple, um, and uh, this is largely her concept. And so the big thing is. Hey, we're not just a retail store. We're a town square. We're we're like the center space uh, where people come to meet. Um, um, there's some controversy about them trying to own that that positioning. A lot of you know city centers don't don't particularly agree that Apple is the the center of their towns. Um, but they've they've uh, made the stores more organic. So the genius bars go away, and they literally have trees, green trees in the store, and it's called the Genius Grove. And so you now. You 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 hang out under the trees and meet your genius, who then takes you to a to a table to to help resolve your issue. In the what what you and I might have called shelves, they now call the avenues, um, and they have upgraded the displays for some of the the Apple products. So like in the old days, uh, they wouldn't have a very elegant uh, display for headphones. Now they have these like beautiful white 
uh, or uh, wooden mannequin heads and the headphones are on mannequins. They have um, wood grain modeled uh, iPhones that the cases are mounted to. So you can see the, the actual cases mounted on the on the shape of a phone, you know, stuff like that. Um, the the biggest new thing they've done, though, is they have a big seating area in every store that's kind of meant for just ad hoc meetings. Um, and it has some interesting like soft seating. They're like bean bags that are under stools. Um, and they have a, a giant, beautiful, large format display that's actually 6K resolution, so super high resolution. Um, and they have community events and stuff there. So so in this this new Apple store, what they did is they moved it from the middle of Michigan Avenue to sort of the the end of the shopping strip in Michigan Avenue right on uh, the the river in Chicago. Um, and so they now, the whole front of the store is a glass window facing the river. It's super beautiful. Uh, they had concerts going all, all weekend for the grand opening. Um, and they're, you know, doing graphics on the big screen and they had a band in front of the screen. Um, and, uh, ton of buzz, uh, there was actually a wait to get in the store most of the weekend as people were coming to check it out. And, uh, one humorous, but potentially sad unintended consequence is uh, these giant glass windows right on the river uh, apparently were confusing the birds. And so they started finding dead or injured birds that had tried to fly into the Apple store. And so now they're apparently uh, making some adjustments to the lighting to try to uh, help the birds figure out that they shouldn't try to fly into the store. Ouch. That uh, it was a town square, but not for the birds, I guess. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, you look at all that stuff and it's, uh, the merchandising is a little better. Um, uh, again, they, they do spend a, a fortune on some premium materials. There's like actual limestone and there's there's, um, you know, marble that comes from a single quarry in Italy. And, um, you know, they're, you know, the the amazing glass architecture that they do for all these stores. Um, it's interesting, you know, so all part of the the brand experience, which is a super important part of why Apple has these stores uh, I have not seen any announcements about how the this model store compared to the previous model store, and if they actually make any substantial changes in the financial metrics of the store. Um, it's not obvious that that there's like dramatically higher converting experiences. Like it's a very incremental upgrade in in uh, most cases, and specific to the Chicago store. The Michigan Avenue store was never convenient, right? It's a huge tourist destination. It's a huge shopping street. But if you, you know, it's a really difficult store to drive to, and certainly there's no parking there. And now they've moved it um, to a place where, like, there there literally is almost no road access. So it's a very pedestrian access store. Uh, if you're a tourist and you're walking Michigan Avenue, it's easy to get to. But, like, if you were a resident, that would be the store you would most avoid because it's uh, the logistics are super complicated, and normally in retail, you would you would you know desperately try to avoid those those uh, transportation logistic problems. But I think in Apple's case, that that store is just really designed for out of town visitors that are on Michigan Avenue, um, and it is a it is a cool historic site. It used to be a a, a um, courthouse, but but uh, more importantly, it was it was the site of the first settlers in Chicago. So the first kind of cabin that got set up for by a permanent resident of Chicago is now this, this big uh, Apple town square store. Boom. Now you can get a smartphone. Exactly. It pushed Welcome me over the, the edge. I ordered a bunch of uh, <laughs> iPhone tens. 
Although I, I'll admit in my head, I keep saying iPhone X. Yeah, I, I have a problem with that too. Yeah, it's the Xbox taught us to do that, I think, over the years. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, this is a nice segue into our Amazon coverage. You, um, We were talking about this, uh, I think, two podcasts ago where you were doing something on Amazon and it kept hitting you and saying, don't you want to come to this pickup store? Uh, you explored that further and tell us what you discovered. Yeah. So, I mean, this literally happened while recording a show that I was, uh, you were explaining something and I was uh, following along on the Amazon website and I put something in my cart and it offered me this new pickup at an Amazon location option that I had never seen before. Um, and that's because Amazon had, uh, has just opened two dedicated pickup locations in Chicago. And so, Prior to these locations, they had something very similar on a lot of college campuses. They had these college pickup locations, and uh, these these stores are very clearly a, a close cousin of those locations. And in fact, like if you look at some of the URL patterns, it it seems like they're kind of the exact same URL pattern as the the campus pickup locations. But um, you don't need a school ID on these, and they they tend to not be on campus. So one of them is just in a high traffic area in Chicago that happens to be. Uh, a little less than a mile from me. And the other is right outside of DePaul university. So accessible to the public, but presumably also useful to DePaul students. And essentially the value prop here is this is a, a manned location. Uh, so it has specific hours with a bunch of lockers inside the location. And so you can place an order on Amazon and have anything delivered to the lockers as opposed to your home. Um, and you can also take your returns to that location. And so you, you might be saying, hey, Jason, Amazon already has lockers all over the place, including most Whole Food stores. Like, how is it different to open a new, a new location with lockers inside? Uh, and the big answer is most of the Amazon lockers that are unattended um, will only hold your package for three days. So you have to pick it up within three days of delivery or they take it back. That's obviously because they have a finite number of lockers and they don't want stuff just sitting in them for a month. Um, so at this pickup location, your your items can stay in the locker for for uh, a little more than two weeks, for 15 days. And the reason they do that is because the items aren't actually in the lockers. The lockers um, don't have backs, and behind all of the lockers is a Amazon a, a little mini Amazon storage fulfillment center. So all your orders get shipped; they're held in this fulfillment center. And when you walk in the store and scan your barcode saying that you want to pick up your order. A human picks your order from that that little um, storage area and puts it in one of these lockers. So your products tend to live in that locker for two minutes before the front opens. And when in the front opens, you can actually see through the locker to all the the storage stuff. Um, so in that way, they don't tie up all the lockers. They can accommodate a lot more packages, a lot more different size packages. But it does require labor. And so to me, that's a, a little bit of a trade-off. The, the unattended lockers, you generally have 24-7 access to them. These lockers, you can only get to when the store's open, and the store's open like 9 to 9 during the week and noon to 9 on the weekends. Um, so I actually did try my first pickup at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday and couldn't get it. Um, but it is, it is interesting that the pickup is a significant part of the e-commerce experience. It's become a big battleground um, we've seen lots of other innovations around pickup. Um, you know, Amazon's also rolling out these lockers that they call hub lockers, which they're providing to buildings um, to allow package deliveries in the buildings. And 
you know, the hub lockers don't just take Amazon packages. They also take U.S. and UPS and FedEx. So they're kind of a utility for the building. Um, we've seen Amazon put lockers in all their Whole Foods. Some sort of interesting side notes on that. Uh, a lot of the Whole Foods are in malls, and a lot of the other stores in malls have contracts with the mall that uh, only cert- that certain kind of product can't be sold by other retailers. So uh, they're now, like Target is enforcing those mall contracts to not allow Whole Foods to have lockers that would receive products that are restricted from other sellers in the in the mall. So that's been kind of a a funny little thing we're we're seeing fight out. And then, of course, this last week we've seen Amazon launch Amazon Key, which is Amazon having access to a smart lock that they provide so that a, a delivery person can actually come into your home and drop off your package, and you can monitor them over an Amazon Cloud Cam, which is kind of their version of a Amazon Nest Cam. Um, and uh, interestingly, Walmart had announced about a week before that that they had a partnership with August Smart Locks, and they were doing doing sort of a similar program. So we're seeing all these guys make a bunch of new plays and new pickup models to kind of you know accommodate all the edge cases for people that don't have convenient pickup uh, at their home or office. And the, these pickup locations certainly seem like one of those. And then, of course, the pickup locations also provide for very easy returns. So when you have a return, you can bring the product in an open box or a no box. Uh, you you can log into a terminal in the store, see your hist- order history, say you want to return something, and just throw the box into a they'll, – they'll print you a code right in that, that store. You throw your return into a poly bag. You put your label on top of the poly bag, drop it in the, the slot, and generally within 10 minutes, they'll have received that return. You'll get a credit right away instead of you know waiting – to mail it back to a fulfillment center. You didn't have to do any shipping or packing or any of those sorts of things. Um, and so the, re- the return logistics feels like another area where we're starting to see uh, a, a big e-commerce battleground. And once again, of course, uh, Walmart announced these, these mobile express returns, which is sort of a similar experience. You don't need a box. You don't need to wait in line to return anything at a, a Walmart store. So this seems like the 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 new areas for fighting are are pickup and reverse logistics. Yeah, about how big was the Amazon pickup store? It's not a huge store. I'd say it's about fifteen hundred square feet. Um, I haven't been to both in Chicago yet, so I've only I've only been to the one. Um, and uh, you know, there's definitely some like you know a couple motivated employees in there that are like trying to spread the word. And uh, I brought home a bunch of uh, Amazon swag that was custom labeled with the address of this this location do they sell echoes or anything like that or it was just just lockers and drop off yeah no no so no product merchandising whatsoever um they weren't selling anything none of the terminals in the store could be used to like browse the inventory or purchase anything so it's purely a a post-purchase experience either pick up or return Hmm, interesting at least for now Uh, i would say they a service they were heavily promoting and they actually had sidewalk signs and all these things is in Chicago, we have a somewhat of a unique offering that I think Amazon's starting to roll out to more places, but we have same day delivery that is not Amazon prime now. Um, so we're close enough to a number of fulfillment centers that a lot of items in Chicago, you can order by noon and have delivered by 9 PM. And those that's actually delivered by a fleet of W two Amazon employees. So it's not the W two, uh, it's not the Amazon Flex delivery people. It's not UPS. It's guys that work for the fulfillment center and are driving stuff up from Indiana uh, f- 
fulfillment center to, to deliver to, to customers in Chicago. And so they're kind of leveraging that same day service with these lockers to say same day pickup in the locker, right? So you can, um, you know, order something before noon, select the locker for delivery, and in theory, pick it up that same day. I actually found that to be a little bit uh, annoying. We're actually like five hours from the main fulfillment center that most most goods come from, from, from uh, Amazon. And so the, you know, most same day deliveries do end up getting delivered right around nine o'clock, sometimes 10 o'clock. Um, and the store closes at nine o'clock. So in my case, I ordered a, I did a test order at like uh, 10 a.m. Promise for same day delivery, and I got a notification at 10:15 p.m. that I could pick it up same day at the locker. But of course, the locker had been closed for an hour. Mm, you found a bug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I you know, growing pains. Yeah. I wonder if they're working on staffing that 24/7, and they're just kind of working up toward to it. Uh, you would think, or certainly I, you could imagine them adjusting those hours as they see demand. And there are newer fulfillment centers that have opened closer to Chicago. So I'm somewhat curious if uh, there's a plan in works to shift some of that same-day delivery volume to the the like closer Wisconsin fulfillment centers. They must love you guys because they're trying so much of this stuff there. So I'm sure they'll they'll figure it out. Yeah, or or there's some senior uh, logistics exec that has a, an apartment here or something. <laughs> or you're just such a big Prime user, they're doing it all for you. They're just trying to get uh, early mentions on the Jason and Scott show. That's why they did it. Jeff Jeff listens and he's he's Prime in the pump. Exactly. <laughs> Masters of PR. Cool. Well, well, thanks for those uh, those reports from the field. Always interesting to see what's going on there in the big city of Chi-Town. Yeah. Hey, I know we have a lot to cover, but uh, I did mention the Amazon key. Would you ever trust Amazon to um, have access to your front door? I don't think so. Um, I like the ones that give you access to your car. Like that doesn't really bother me at all, like people putting stuff in my trunk. But, you know, access to the house is just a whole other thing. Yeah, I think that's that's been an interesting conversation is – you know, uh, you know, uh, the trust issue has come up a lot. And in many metrics, Amazon is one of the most trusted uh, companies out there. And yet that still feels a little scary to folks. And it'll it'll be interesting. I actually saw maybe because just way less people are using it. But I actually saw less blowback when Walmart announced it than I did when Amazon announced it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if the Walmart thing was as widely distributed. No, that I mean, like, totally <laughs> may have been there. part of it. <laughs> um, but even that being the case, you got to give Walmart some credit. Like, you know, uh, I feel like it's a moral victory these days when you're launching pro- uh, customer experiences ahead of Amazon. I mean, like, Amazon may have gone much more buzz, but they did have to announce a week after Walmart. Yeah, yeah, Mark Laurie is. Um, you know, I think he's really good at reading these tea leaves and getting in front of them. I do want to try the Walmart quick return experience because it felt like an oxymoron when I, when I was reading it because I've never had a quick return. I've never had a quick customer service anything at Walmart. And if yeah. anything, it's getting worse. Like I go to my Walmart and I swear they've cut the number of cash registers down by half. There's this like 56 bank of cash registers and there's two people working. I, I don't know if it's just when I go to Walmart or something, but it's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. Uh I can't speak to that. I, you know, obviously these uh, express returns, part of the solution, you do have to get to a person. And so they have an express lane uh, in customer service dedicated just to that. And in my experience, that can be super helpful, but that can also have 
unintended consequences, right? So the my analogy is if you think of um, TSA Pre at the airport. So when it first launched and only a few insiders had TSA Pre, you could fly through Pre and it was awesome. Now you go to most airports in the U.S. and it's not uncommon to see the Pre line being much longer than the regular line because everybody is in the know, right? And so, you know, it'll it'll be interesting if, if that Walmart Express return is heavily leveraged Will Walmart scale the lanes to support that or will it eventually get gummed up? Um, I will tell you uh, just uh, uh, simple things amuse me. But when they launched the service, they had a bunch of videos showing the experience. Um, And in all the videos, like a different shopper, you know, gets in this fast line, skips all the people standing in the slow lane um, and gets their service. And I I watch those videos and I'm laughing because I'm like, wait, all those annoyed customers in the slow lane are Walmart customers, too. And it's almost like Walmart's making fun of their their customers. And best of all, they they hired different actors to be the stars of each of these videos. But the annoyed customer in the slow lane is the same customer in all four videos. So I'm thinking that's the most screwed Walmart customer of all times. And, you know, what's going to happen is when people see people using that line, they're just going to get in it and argue and be like, well, why can't I be in the express line? Exactly. I don't know. It, yeah. It's not going to be entirely clear who gets I, to use that. And who I'm doesn't. the guy standing in the back of the line at Starbucks uh, that then pulls out his phone and does mobile order and pay because I realize it would be faster. And so you could you could imagine some of that in Walmart, too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, we definitely want to save a big chunk of the show for Amazon's third quarter results. And there's so much to cover, we could probably go for three hours. So I thought the best way to carve this up would look at some of our our favorite platforms, if you will, that Amazon has. There's five areas we want to cover. Uh, Core commerce, which includes the marketplace, is the big one. There's some interesting Whole Foods updates, which would be the second one. Uh, Little tidbits around the ad platform we want to cover, uh, which is number three. And then number four would be Alexa and conversational commerce, some really interesting topics there. And then fifth is a little bit of a catch-all, just some interesting other nuggets that that we kind of got out of the release. So uh, to be able to cover this and not have to go uh, define everything over and over again, we do point you to a couple of our other episodes if you want to – if we say anything in this part of the show that doesn't make any sense to you, then I would recommend going back to episode 24, which was our Amazon deep dive where we covered a lot of these, these topics. Uh, and then episode 89, we did a deep dive on the whole foods acquisition and what we thought was going on there. Uh, and then also prime day, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but you can get fuller coverage by going to episode 93. So that at the high level, Amazon's revenues came in at $43.7 billion, that's B billion, which is 34% year-over-year growth, and that beat the top end of Wall Street estimates by 2%. Jason, the way this works is companies come out, and whenever they release a quarter, they tell you what they think the next quarter is going to look like. That's called guidance. They usually give a range. Uh, historically, I think like 9 out of 11 times in the last kind of – you know. Um, of those quarters, Amazon has come in within the range. So in Q2, they gave a range for Q3. And historically, there's like almost a 90% chance they'll fall in there. This time, uh, they actually came in way above their own guidance. So uh, Wall Street loves it when this happens. That's called a beat. Uh, And then when the company then gives forward guidance for that next quarter, if that exceeds what everyone's thinking, that's called a beat and a raise. So this was a classic beat and raise, you know, it's kind of a, you know, not only was it a beat and raise, but it kind of trounced both numbers, top line, bottom line, forward, current, all that stuff. 
Um, uh, you and I talk about this a lot. There's a common misperception that Amazon is not profitable. Operating income beat expectations at $347 million. Uh, Amazon doesn't really focus on the operating income as a metric. They look at free cash flow, and, and that performed very well uh, during the quarter as well. So as we drill in, so that's the macro look at it. And as we drill into the core commerce piece, commerce retail grew 28% year-over-year growth. So just to kind of align folks, uh, e-commerce is reported by Comscore. That's my favorite metric at about 15 to 17% year-over-year growth. So Amazon, uh, the, the retail part of Amazon is growing twice the rate of e-commerce, which is pretty impressive. Uh, what folks on Wall Street loved is in the second quarter, it grew 23%. So you have this kind of 5% quarter on quarter acceleration. So, you know, if we were charting this out, there would be one dot at 23% for Q2 and another dot at 28% for Q3. So a, a pretty, you know, material acceleration of the business um, from the second quarter to the third quarter. So as you and I talk a lot, um, that's the revenue for the core commerce piece, and that hides the underlying GMV. So uh, GMV is one of these confusing things. So let me give kind of a little background before I go into some specifics. Uh, the, the way it works is think about Amazon as two businesses. You have the first party business, which is a typical retail P&L. They get things from manufacturers, mark them up. Uh, that's COGS, what they pay the manufacturer. And then uh, sales is what they sell them to the consumer. So a $50 widget is marked up to $100. Revenue is $100. Easy peasy. What complicates things is Amazon has this thing called the marketplace, or what we slang in the industry call the 3P. And what happens there is I take that exact same widget at $100, and now, because of the accounting rules, this is not – I get a lot of people that think Amazon's doing something nefarious. It's just the, the, uh, the gap accounting rules. When Amazon sells that $100 widget through a third party, the, they can only recognize their commission, which is about 10%, uh, or in the industry we call this their take rate. So that same widget, uh, that if it moves from 1P to 3P, now Amazon only gets $10 worth of revenue. So this has the unintended consequence of hiding a lot of the impact of Amazon. And what we call that transactional value of that third party, that $100, not the $10 commission, which is revenue, we call that gross merchandise value in the world of marketplaces. Um, all of eBay's uh, revenue is derived from transactional GMV. Uh, a portion of Amazon's comes from 1P, which where GMV equals revenue, and a portion comes from the third party marketplace where revenue equals about 10% of GMV because of that take rate. Um, Okay, so with that being said, the uh, what frustrates people on this is Amazon doesn't release these numbers. And historically, all Amazon would tell you was the percentage of units that come from third party. Uh, last quarter, for example, that was 51%. That went down to 50% this quarter because you had 1P got all the Whole Foods um, first party sales in there. So it kind of, for the first time, you saw things kind of go from 3P to 1P from a growth rate, but it's because of that acquisition. So uh, starting in 2012 at Channel Advisor, we came up with estimates on GMB because we wanted to help retailers really understand this and, and at least put a number out there that we thought was an educated guess. So uh, when we go through the calculus of figuring all that out, um, what we would end up with, for example, last year our estimate was about $277 billion, just to kind of put a number out there for, for a rough estimate. Then at the end of 2016, um, Amazon changed a lot of their financial disclosures and finally started to release uh, something called 3P seller service revenues. And 
The trick there, though, is uh, that includes revenue from the marketplace, but it also includes all third-party revenues from fulfillment. And they don't really tell you how to split that up. So there's this really wide range of guesses that come out of there. So so Wall Street now kind of takes that number and backs into it. Um, and they come up with an estimate of 200 to 250 billion uh, for that same time period. So the my way of doing it uh, ends up at 277. They end up at 200 to 250. So you see these varying numbers. To make it even more complicated, in that metric, Amazon doesn't count books as 1p they move them to 3p if the publisher counts it that way so it has this weird dynamic of of i i would not count that one of the reasons we're off is uh they put a lot of the books over uh in 3p and i think they should be over in 1p um, but anyway for the purpose of the discussion let, let's just think of it as you know between 200 or around 250 billion last year just kind of put a number out there that, that agrees with both systems of doing this um, so that being said, when you, when you look at this, what's interesting is historically first party has grown about 20% and third party has grown twice that pace at 43%. And if you think about that for a second, to me, that's the part that really competes with most retailers. So, so you have Amazon's, um, overall is growing 34%. If you take out AWS, it's growing at the, the commerce piece is growing at about, 30%, but then when you look at the, the marketplace, it's growing at 43%. So uh, so really kind of uh, you know interesting and something that retailers need to be aware of. But what, what ends up happening is it's kind of an iceberg situation. So what we see in Amazon's quarterly numbers is the tip of the iceberg, which is their revenue. And you have to unpack that to get to the third-party GMV, add it to the first-party GMV to get the total GMV. Now, I think that's what matters because – when Amazon third party sells a hundred dollar widget, Walmart loses a hundred dollars. They don't lose ten dollars. Um, and then the same is true for grocery and everything like that. So, so the total GMV is what really matters is in how we should be sizing Amazon. So if we if we now look at the third quarter, by my calculations of that forty three point seven billion in the quarter, uh, about four point six was from AWS. So we take that out. So it's clearly not in this bucket, um, and that gives us. There's some other revenue, but it's really relatively small and doesn't change the calculation. Um, so we essentially have thirty nine billion dollars um, that's from the retail part of the business. Of that, thirty three and a half is the first party, which leaves five point six billion dollars for, for the third party. So, uh, so when you look at it that way, third party is actually a pretty small percent of revenues, um, you know, about 20%. But then you have to take the 5.6 billion from third party and multiply it by 10 because of the, the 10% thing. So now you have 56 billion in GMV from third party, 33 billion ish from first party. You add those together and you effectively get 89 and a half billion in GMV for the third quarter. So, you know, call it. By my calculations, uh, Amazon is effectively at a $90 billion quarterly run rate from GMV, and that represents about a $360 billion average uh, annual run rate. Um, the U.S. is – the United States is 60% of Amazon, so if you just want to look at the U.S., um, out of that $360 billion, uh, it's about $55 billion for the U.S., and that gives the U.S. business a $215 billion run rate. So um, – so, so let me kind of put that in terms that, that makes sense. So last year, if you look at the third quarter, um, you end up with uh, uh, about $13.5 in GMV. So effectively, uh, Amazon grew from $13 billion, Let me make sure I get this right. 
if you look at JCPenney, who I mentioned at the top of the show, they're a twelve and a half billion dollar retailer with with one thousand one hundred stores. Um, so Amazon effectively grew year over year. If you look at the GMV between Q three last year and this year, uh, a JCPenney plus an extra billion dollars. But the entire JCPenney, not just the online sales. Um, so. Um, and then what's interesting, uh, at the Q3 2014 billion run rate, uh, it, it's going to be effectively a 50% uh, growth. So, uh, so you know, the, it, it effectively what it means is that Amazon will have, if you look at the U.S. revenue um, for e-commerce, which uh, when I look at a couple of the numbers like Forrester, they have $400 billion in the U.S. Um, at this kind of run rate, uh, Amazon will take ab- about half of the total online sales when you when you kind of unpack the GMV. Um, and it's good because we're starting to see eMarketer had some data out that started to include the GMV. Uh, a lot of people have have not really done this the right way, I think. And, and now more and more, you're starting to see people unpack that, um, which is good. So going forward, um, Amazon put out fourth quarter guidance um, between 56 and 60.5 billion. Uh, again, that really kind of was way above what Wall Street was estimating for the fourth quarter. Um, this has, this implies at the low range uh, a 28% growth rate, and the high range a 38% growth range, 32 at the midpoint. If you take that midpoint and you assume some of the similar Q3 metrics, um, you effectively get to GMV of about 110, 120 billion. Um, uh, uh, 45 of that comes from first party, 75 from third party. So you look at that year of year growth, what happens in fourth quarter for Amazon is they just really surge um, and start to just take massive share in the fourth quarter. And then it kind of sustains going into the next year. So effectively, if you look at Q4 last year versus where they're projecting just the midpoint of next year, uh, it's effectively two and a half JC pennies that they'll effectively gobble up in market share. So, and that's just at the midpoint. If they come in at the top range, it's like three or four JC pennies. So uh, I know I went through a lot of math there, but but the, the punchline is Amazon is growing is about, you know, it's more than uh, twice as big as people think it is because of this hidden GMV under the surface. And it, I mean, it's important, like I can't overemphasize half the media that covers Amazon still get this wrong. Right. And they still just they use Amazon's reported revenue and talk about Amazon size. Um, and it's it, like it's just fundamentally wrong. Yeah, I wish Amazon would just give a GMB number, but um, the, cl- the interesting thing, having watched Amazon for 20 years now, is uh, one of Jeff Bezos's favorite classes was game theory. And in game theory, you never want anyone to really know what you're up to and until you you know you absolutely have to tell them. Um, so there's a lot of case studies over the history of Amazon where they don't disclose things, and they always play kind of funny games with math where they'll say. So, so for example, we don't know how many Prime subscribers there are. They don't disclose the GMV. They actually go backwards a lot of times. So, so the SEC made them disclose some new things, but they got rid of some of my favorite ones. They used to break down the difference between media and electronics and general merchandise. So we had an idea for how those two categories were going. As they switched some of these new metrics, they got rid of those. So uh, it's always this game of, of kind of um, – a lot of people think it's nefarious, but what Amazon's doing is, uh, in my experience, when they're when they think they have a strategic advantage, then they try not to tell people what's going on in that part of the business uh, because they want to protect the the secret of that strategic advantage. And, and I would definitely put this marketplace as one of the top ones that they they very purposely do not disclose what's going on here because they they don't want people to know how big this is. Yep. And is it uh, you you sort of implied it, but it, it maybe is worth also stating. Uh, 
the while it's possible to be profitable or not profitable on one P sales, it's almost impossible to not be profitable on three P sales. Yeah, if you the best proxy is Alibaba and eBay, which are pure kind of marketplaces. And those companies have like, you know, 85 to 90% gross margins and then like 30, 40% kind of uh, net margins. So, you know, a very profitable business. I, I've I've posited that the marketplace has been kind of the cash cow that's really fueled. It really started in 2006 um, all the way for the last 12 years. That's what's fueled all the build out in prime fulfillment centers all that because it's this hugely profitable kind of a, a line that amazon has, has stumbled on yep and to your point because they don't have to break it out they don't show the profit just from the marketplace and so you you get a lot of the this narrative where they they have to show the profits from from aws and they're they're fabulous and so you get a lot of people talking about well aws is the 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 profitable component that carries amazon and in, in reality this this marketplace is almost certainly a much bigger, more pro- or, or equivalently profitable uh, business that that just uh, they they don't have to disclose as as overtly. Yeah, one of the one of the folks that really gets this is Mark Laurie. So he, you know, the whole reason they started Jet was effectively to go after this cash cow, and then uh, obviously Walmart has bought into that. And I. Um, I have to imagine he spends a lot of time internally kind of helping educate folks there that, that this is going on. Because if you're a traditional retailer, in my experience, they're they're even more kind of not blind, but they have a harder time getting their head around it because there's no offline analogy. You know, you can't point to something and say, well, look over there. That's how that works um, because it's such a weird uh, anomaly of the online business Amazon's built. Yep. Yep. I um, mean. And- you mentioned uh, Prime members. Any, anything else we should cover on the, the marketplace before we jump to Just Prime? Just a quick one. Um, international really accelerated. So it grew – North America grew 35%. International grew 29 um, International has been a little sluggish. Um, now, this always sways a couple points due to the impact of currency exchanges. So everything I say takes that out. Um, but I think last quarter it grew 26%. So a nice kind of quarter on quarter, 26 to 29%. Uh, and the management team specific, uh, specifically called out uh, international AWS and prime slash prime day as, as the, the key reasons that they beat their expectations. Um, so I'll kick it over to you for some prime coverage. Yep. And that you did trigger, uh, I guess, one last piece of editorial on the, on the growth of the marketplace. Um, so you you add up that whole general merchandise value, and you, you, I think you said uh, that the you know the uh, implied growth is somewhere between twenty eight and thirty eight percent. So we call it let's call it thirty two percent growth. Um, the the second largest e commerce site, which is way smaller than Amazon in the U S., is Walmart. They the last couple of quarters have grown even uh, much faster than that on on, on of course a much smaller base. And so you think about. Man, Amazon, which is arguably half of e-commerce already, and they're growing at 32%, and yet the industry average for growth is about 15%. Um, And so the reality is there has not been a heck of a lot of growth for the rest of the e-commerce industry outside of Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I think small folks uh, really struggle. You, you see, Am- uh, eBay announced their results. We didn't cover it specifically. I think their GMV grew five or six percent. Um, you know, I, I think some of these omni-channel folks had a surge kind of as they they played catch up. But I think a lot of them are really starting to slow down as they they run into the Amazon buzzsaw. Yeah, for sure. 
And so as we talk about buzzsaws, let's talk about Prime. Uh, Prime is another one of those things that Amazon does not disclose, as you mentioned. And so uh, it's left to a lot of third parties to sort of estimate what the Prime memberships are. Um, And there was a lot of buzz and a lot of articles earlier this month, I want to say around October 18th, uh, the Consumer Intelligence Research Partners released their updated estimate. They've been doing an annual estimate for, I think, two or three years now. Um, and this year, they're estimating that there are 90 million Prime subscribers, um, which is up 25 million from their previous estimate, right? So they were, what was that, 65 million last year and 90 million now. Um, and so that that generated a ton of buzz um, but I think you and I have taken that with a grain of salt um, because I'm not sure 90 million Prime subscribers really passes the smell test to me. What about you? Yeah, and, and you have to dig into it. Um, that's a U.S. number, and there's the Census Bureau says there's 125 million households. So that, that would be like you know 60 to 70% coverage, which feels high. Um, now, there's you know, I've, I've seen studies that show that kind of coverage at the high end, so – you know, um, kind of more affluent uh, homes uh, over index on Prime, and they get up into the 60%, 70%. But I think that's pretty aggressive to look at the whole U.S. Um, when when I read the Wall Street research, uh, and, and this is one of these things where Amazon's very clever, and they say we have tens of millions of subscribers, and then they always everything's always relative. Like it was our biggest day, or we saw a 2x increase in sign-ons. They, they never give you a number. Um, when I... There's a fair number of Wall Street folks that run surveys, uh, which are, are always tricky, but they're going into the you know tens of thousands of people in these surveys, and they they effectively kind of get to 60 million in the U.S. and then another 30 internationally. Prime hasn't been out in as many countries. They're just really rolling it out into India, for example. Um, so most people – the metrics I see say 90 million total, 60 U.S. and 30 non-U.S. So that would make this number pretty aggressive because you know I think you would have to add another 30 onto the, that 90 for international. So you, it would be like 120 million all in. So I think it's it's an over overstatement. Um, now, one of the other things is um, – all the Wall Street people are looking at paid Prime. There are some free Prime programs. So there's Prime for students and Prime for moms. So maybe that adds another five or ten unpaid Prime members in there. But again, I have a hard time getting to that 90 million in the U.S. number. Yep. Uh, Prime for government assistance as well now, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I tend to agree. Like uh, just a, a couple of kind of benchmarks you can use to to just sort of check this, um, which tell you that 90 million is potentially possible, but highly optimistic. Uh, so, so one thing to know is the analog equivalent of prime memberships is probably Costco memberships, right? That Costco is by far the most successful, uh, uh, membership based retailer out there. And they've, they've been phenomenally, uh, financially successful for a long time, predicated almost exclusively on the revenue they generate from their memberships. And Costco has 90 million members. Um, so you say, Hey, if Costco could do it, Amazon certainly could get there. Uh, but it's doubtful they're already there, uh, particularly if you consider what percentage of the U.S. population have embraced digital shopping versus uh, the the percent that have, have shopped in brick and mortar, right? And that brings me to the second metric I like to look at. Um, the These prime studies are not very big. Like the CIRP thing, I want to say, was a, a few thousand respondents. 
um, if I'm if I'm remembering right, like let's even say generously ten thousand. Um, there's some much bigger studies that study uh, retail buyer penetration, and so the 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 retailer in America that has seen the most uh, uh, U.S. consumers is Walmart. Ninety five percent of the U.S. has shopped in Walmart. Eighty nine percent of the U.S. has shopped in McDonald's. Uh, you stop. You drop down to like eighty five percent at Target, and then you get to some of these these retailers that are ubiquitous but target more affluent shoppers. Like Starbucks has reached only forty eight percent of the U.S. Um, despite how many Starbucks we see out there, and those studies have Amazon at about forty two to forty five percent of the U.S. have shopped Amazon. So there, there's a good news bad news thing there. If you're Amazon, you go man. We're performing terrifically, and we've only reached 45% of the U.S., so we have a lot of growth left. Um, but if they've only reached 45% of the U.S., there's no way they could have 90 million Prime subscribers. Yeah, and there's so there's two metrics. There's 300 people in the U.S. and then 125 million households. So um, I think the one you just said would be against the 300, so people, 45. Yeah. yeah, so that would be like 150 million people have shopped Amazon. So you would expect it would be hard for – more than half of those to really be prime. I, I, I would be shocked. So, yeah. Um, nevertheless, it was, uh, interesting in the, the Q and a after the, um, the, the announcement that the CFO had to answer a, a number of questions. And, um, you know, one, one of the core questions is, Hey, how come you guys exceeded guidance? Like what went better than expected? Um, and interestingly, the, the CFO's answer was largely that prime memberships, outperform their expectations and specifically that prime day was driving a lot more prime subscribers uh, than expected. And that, um, that that was having a carryover effect uh, throughout the, the quarter. So that, that is super interesting. Uh, we, of course, in our prime day uh, episode, we've talked a lot about the real goal of prime day being to get more prime subscribers. And here we have some, some evidence from the horse's mouth that that's, exactly what it's what it's uh, exceed, uh succeeding in doing yeah and he even tied that international acceleration to prime day being strong globally and getting a lot of global signups on prime so you know the the flywheel is prime and prime day is a way to just kind of like remind people that it's out there get them pulled into that flywheel and, and get the flywheel going even faster yeah and I, my takeaway from that that's terrifying is just um you would expect that, uh, you know, as Amazon grows, they get more Prime subscribers. At some point, you hit this equilibrium where you've captured all the easy Prime subscribers and it becomes much harder to acquire new ones. And here's the CFO saying, hey, we've had pretty consistent Prime growth um, and now we're seeing it accelerate and beat our expectations. Um, that that tells you that there's a lot of gas still left in this this growth tank. Yeah, the um, the other clue in the financials around this, and again, it's a little squishy, but there's a line item called subscriber revenue, and this is another way Wall Street kind of takes that. And in, in the inside subscriber revenue, you have the revenue that comes from Prime, um, which comes in many flavors. Now you have people prepaying uh, annually at like uh, 99 bucks, and you have monthlies go through here, but then they have a num- number of other subscriber programs. So you have Amazon Prime Music, you have um, the book program, I think Audible kind of falls into here, some parts of Audible. Um, so it's a little, again, it's a little hard to pick apart. But what they said is that subscription revenue grew 59% uh, 
uh, year over year. And that was an acceleration. It was, uh, I think, 53% in the last quarter. So again, that kind of uh, correlates to what's going on there. Um, and then they talked also about the, um, it was interesting, they kind of tied it to Echo. So they said, let's see, uh, within subscription services, music especially is working really well with Echo. Uh, we're seeing a lot of growth in that area as we increase the number of Echoes. So you and I are both examples of this where you have to pay a little bit of an upcharge. You get you get Prime Music for free uh, or, or with your Prime subscription. But to access it through your Echo, you have to pay, uh, I think, is it $5 extra month? This is one of those things you just kind of uh, forget. Th- there's a couple of programs. Uh, you can pay 5 bucks a month to get it on a single Echo. And they, they call this... Prime Music Unlimited. So it's a bigger category library, and you can have it available on a single Echo for five bucks a month, or they have a family plan, which makes it available to uh, on the mobile phones of five of your family members and to all the Echoes you own um, in in one household for nine bucks a month. So I suspect you and I are paying nine bucks a month. I suspect that's true. Yes. Um, I remember I started with the first one, and then like everyone wanted to listen to different music, and it would specifically tell us you can't do that and then that was annoying so we upgraded yeah and of <laughs> it was course, very effective in the in the last quarter they also added a feature to to the echo um that enables multi-room music for the first time so now you can you can beam that same song to a bunch of different echoes at the same time or different music in each room it's it's become uh, uh pretty cool in terms of a music playing device yeah, very Sonosy in, in that capability to shoot music to wherever you want it to go, but at a fraction of the cost. Absolutely. And I'm sure it was not material in these reportings, but there's actually one new source of uh, what I assume is going to go into the subscription revenue. Um, for the first time, they have added a, uh in-app purchase option for one of the Echo skills. Um, so, so you now can pay a premium uh, if you're using the Jeopardy skills to get access to more Jeopardy games. So I, I'm not a big Jeopardy player on uh, Echo. Apparently that's a big thing that I've totally missed. Um, but I guess uh, by default on the free app, you can play six rounds of Jeopardy a day and you can only play that day's Jeopardy. So now they've launched a service where you can pay extra to get access to as many games of Jeopardy as you want every day. And, uh, that in and of itself may or may not be interesting to you. But to me, what's interesting about that is that means they put the mechanism in there to have in-app purchase revenue for Echo skills. And when you look at the other app ecosystems out there, like the iTunes store or the Google Play store, all the big money is in these uh, free-to-download and then in-app uh, purchase options. And so that, that potentially is a whole new economic ecosystem that's getting added to the Amazon juggernaut. Yeah. It, it's interesting there. There's a big tie in when you're watching jeopardy. Um, and I always fast forward through the commercials. It, it makes you stop because it looks like you're back on jeopardy, but then it's an, uh, a 30 second Amazon echo jeopardy tie in commercial. <laughs> uh, and then, um, I'm a big fan of Mr. Robot and they're doing a really big, uh, thing there where you can uh mr robots about this this devastating thing that happens on five nine so you can say uh alexa what's the five nine news and it kind of like gives you news from this dystopian future so so i don't know if there's any in-app purchase there but they're doing some really clever tie-ins with tv and then um nfl and all that stuff's all tied together with the streaming part of what they do it's, it's really getting to be pretty interested and integrated with what they're doing there 
And uh, in the coincidence department, it uh, this week is actually the seventh year anniversary of Watson uh, winning that Jeopardy tournament. And it, it's funny to think uh, back then they had to rent the building next to the Jeopardy studio because the IBM Watson computer that that uh, played uh, uh, in that that tournament was the size of a house. Um, and now, of course, there's a similar amount of processing power in the, the new Google Home Mini. <laughs> cool. How about um, switching gears to your favorite topic, grocery? What what did you pick out of the release around grocery and Whole Foods? Yeah, so a couple interesting takeaways. Um, it was thinly mentioned in the earnings. Um, they they you know a lot of people were asking questions and were interested in the future plans. And Amazon did not disclose very much about the their future plans for Whole Foods, um, which going back to your point, I think they like to play their cards uh, close to their vest when they can. Uh, what was super exciting for the omni-channel nerds in the room is that they did add a new line item to the revenue reporting. So for the first time, they have an offline revenue line, um, and the, the revenue in there for this first quarter was $1.3 billion, um, which is a uh, predominantly their Whole Foods revenue, and that's from a partial quarter. So I think that's only about 30 days of the quarter that that uh, Whole Foods was in the Amazon number. Um, and so I assume that's that's a new flavor of 1P revenue that shows up on this this separate line for physical stores. Uh, the bookstore revenue is in that number. I assume uh, Amazon has some kiosks and pop-ups and other things. I assume all those things are in that number as well. Uh, but I think they essentially said that all those things combined are somewhat immaterial uh, in that number and sort of dwarfed by the the Whole Foods number. So, uh, you know, this this first quarter, that's not a particularly interesting number, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch it grow. And uh, I think, you know, quarters where Amazon makes big investments in growing the bookstores, which there are a lot of bookstores scheduled to open, and maybe where we don't see a lot of growth in Whole Foods, it'll be interesting to see whether that number moves at all. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, exciting for me that that number is going to be in there in the future. Uh, I didn't necessarily learn anything from this one. Uh, it is interesting. They're defining, uh, physical stores as when the customer selects the item in the store. So if you, uh, purchase something, pick something out online and you schedule it for delivery to a Whole Foods locker, for example, or to one of those pickup locations that I talked about earlier that would that would still be considered an online purchase and that's somewhat interesting because there is some variation in terms in different retailers omni-channel reporting what what orders they consider an in-store purchase versus an online purchase so amazon has clearly said uh it for us it depends on where you select the item not where it's fulfilled cool they uh it now you mentioned it, it's interesting. They they always called their revenue net sales, and now they uh, call it online sales. So for the e-commerce people, that's kind of exciting. So now they have online sales and physical sales. So pretty interesting. Absolutely. The um, one of the Wall Street analysts kind of said, "Well, you know, what what else can you tell us uh, now? That you've had Whole Foods under your belt for a whole thirty days uh, about the future. Um, you know, the CFO 
again, plays it pretty close to the vest, said nothing to announce. But I think over time, you'll see more cooperation and working together between Fresh, Prime Now, and Whole Foods. And we've certainly seen that with the private label. And it'll be interesting to see if if they leverage, uh, you know, for example, we've we've speculated that that Prime Now uh, ability to do same-day delivery would be really nice. Um, even though Whole Foods is partnered with Instacart, uh, it doesn't make sense for Amazon to uh, – you know, fuel a competitor there effectively uh, and use the Prime Now network, which is called Flex, to do same-day delivery. So that was my read on that one. I may be reading too much into it, but but interesting to see what they're going to do uh, now that they've had this uh, integrated for 30 days. For sure. Um, another one that uh, – just a quick one. Uh, I know we're up against time. The uh, Amazon doesn't break out the ad business, and we have talked a lot on the show about uh, when we talk to brands, especially especially manufacturers, they're moving dollars from Google advertising over to uh, Amazon. And you know the CFO did give a little hint there. So this lives inside of the quote-unquote other line. Um, Amazon has specifically historically said advertising is the largest component of that. There's a lot of dogs and cats in there. I think there's some – um, some of the Audible stuff that's not a subscription ends up in there. And, you know, when you actually look, Amazon owns like 80 different businesses and a bunch of them kind of live inside of here. Uh, if it doesn't kind of – if the revenue doesn't kind of fall into the previous categories. Um, but this line grew 58% and the CFO explicitly said advertising grew faster than other itself, uh, which, you know, means greater than 58%. percent I, I'd be shocked if advertising wasn't growing north of 100% year over year based on, you know, anecdotally, when I talk to folks, this is the one area that uh, everyone is really excited and seeing really good efficacy. And then inside of Amazon, everyone's moving over to these teams, which is always an indicator. Uh, the hot teams to be on at Amazon are Echo, Private Label, and Ads. So, you know, I'd be surprised if uh, it's not growing well north of 100%. So, um I look forward to the day when it grows so big that Amazon has to break it out and we can kind of see how big it is. I think it's going to shock people. I, I think this is going to be this kind of you know next multi-billion dollar business. Um, and this could be really, 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 really bad for, for definitely Google, maybe even Facebook as Facebook gets to be a certain size. Um, you know, there's going to be a fight for one of the largest uh, groups that spends money and, and that's brands and retail. Uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see who wins this advertising dollar battle. Yeah, I, I will say it's, I have a feeling in the short run, it's going to be a mixed bag because the, the estimates I've seen are kind of in, already in that 1 billion to 2 billion um, size business. And, and, I'm I'm sure you're right that that uh, Google and Facebook hate hate seeing a third player have a meaningful presence there. Um, but in some small way, like again, let's go, let's be generous and call it two billion. Uh, that that's still pretty small compared to Google's ninety billion. Um, so for now, it's not a, a hugely material competitor. Um, and I have a feeling with some of the antitrust conversations that are likely to come up in the the next couple of years at Google and Facebook. Um, don't be surprised if the the people t- uh, making the strongest case for how big Amazon are are Google and Facebook as they try to demonstrate that they aren't monopolies. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so this next one, I know you have a lot of passion about because I feel like I saw you fighting about it on Twitter. Um, how how many uh, echoes are out there? 
Yeah. So, uh, so this was interesting. So the, the specific comment uh, on the call was – this was actually uh, in the Jeff Bezos uh, quote. So uh, if you're interested in Amazon, I definitely recommend uh, either reading the transcript or listening to these calls. Uh, but then also Amazon puts out a very lengthy press release. Um, and a lot of it's kind of throwaway. It's bullet points of everything they've announced in the last quarter, which you know, you, if you listen to our show, you already are well-versed in, of course. Uh, but I always skip right to the Jeff Bezos quote because it kind of gives you an idea of what they want to focus on. Um, and the second piece of that quote, uh, I think the first piece was about Prime Day and uh, AWS and, and how awesome they were. Uh, this is the quote. So – uh, customers have purchased tens of millions of Alexa-enabled devices, so that was kind of an interesting choice of words. Uh, given Echo devices, over 100,000 five-star reviews and active customers are up more than 5x since the same time last year. Uh, and then they talked about you know the explosion of skills and that kind of thing. So, so I was thinking. Uh, so I put a tweet out there that said, "Wow, 5x is pretty impressive." And I was thinking they probably went from six million to thirty million. Maybe seven to forty million. Um, I, you know, it's. I don't think Echo would be half of Prime. That that feels aggressive. So I was thinking somewhere in that range. Um, and uh, a uh, a guy, John Wilson, I think he's a listener. Um, he kind of said, "Well, I, you know, he said, I think it was actually smaller. I think I read it was twenty million. I was like, that's really weird because they didn't disclose that. And what happened is someone took this." Uh, they kind of fell into Amazon's trap. They took this tens of millions and they, their logic was, well, they wouldn't say tens of millions unless it was at the very bottom of that range. So let's say, um, you know, effectively 20. So they kind of came out with the number 20 because that's kind of how they read that math. Uh, and then they said, well, it must have been 4 million to 20 million. So I just kind of thought it was interesting that, you know, someone and his point was, wow, Alexa has a lot of hype and not a lot of reality if it's just barely getting to 20 million users. Um, so I think it's kind of funny that, you know, when people fall into these Amazon traps that they've set, I read these things and I kind of think, oh, when they say tens of millions, it's actually probably towards the high end of the higher end of that. They're, they're, they're definitely. So first thing I think is, hmm, something big is here and they're hiding something. And then the second thing I, I tend to lean towards more of the middle of the range towards the high end of the range. So, so it's kind of a fun kind of uh, argument to get in with uh, John there and, uh, he agreed at the end that that this article kind of took a lot of uh, liberty with that quote. Yeah, it's uh, tricky. You got to get into the Amazon mindset and not the the traditional mindset that a lot of folks are used to. Uh, one slight tangent. I, I totally apologize because I know we're we're going to be way over time for this this episode. But you mentioned the the highlight section of the press release. Uh, my favorite anecdote is they have this long list of highlights. One of the highlight bullets is completed the $13 billion acquisition of Whole Foods. And another one of the highlight bullets is that they successfully had bring your daughter to work day. Yeah, it's really a, a potpourri of what happened in the last quarter. Exactly. So pretty, pretty broad range of accomplishments is all. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They don't, they don't really order them in any way. I've, it must be chronological order or something. I've never understood how they're ordered in there. It's kind of random. Yeah. But uh, I'm guessing that Bring Your Daughter to Work Day has to be a lot more daughters because there was some interesting information about uh, how the um, the headcount has grown in Amazon. Yeah, so one one analyst said, hey, if I do the math, your headcount is up 77% year over year. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, all right, if your revenues are growing 34% and your headcount's up 77%, that's that's a lot of, you know, 
that's a lot of expense you've added on on uh, not as much revenue. Um, so when you unpack it, actually uh, a big chunk of that came from the two acquisitions. So they now include the entire Whole Foods uh, employee base, and then they acquired that marketplace out of the Middle East called Souk. I think I'm saying that right, S O U Q. Uh, and if you take those out, then it was 47% year over year. And what uh, the reason that is higher than Revenue growth is they've already started to kind of get in front of the seasonal hiring. So they previously had announced they're hiring 120,000 seasonal workers for fulfillment centers primarily. So um, they kind of intimated that they've made a fair amount of progress on that. Um, but it's pretty crazy. So as as someone who the biggest company I've built has about 700 people in it, and that's a lot of people to kind of understand and manage and keep your head around what everyone's doing. Uh, Amazon has 542,000 people. Um, so I was kind of blown away by that. That's like over half a million people uh, working for Amazon. But So then I kind of checked in to see, well, how many does Walmart have? Walmart has 2.1 million people in the U.S. alone. So that 500K-ish number is global, uh, and Walmart's at 2.1 million. So um, – I guess I didn't feel so bad about Amazon's headcount after I looked at that number. Yeah, although it is interesting to see those those metrics that are growing faster than revenue. Uh, I know another one you and I have briefly talked about is uh, uh, shipping costs, which are we're up like thirty nine percent this quarter, and that's a a, a huge line item that keeps uh, rapidly going up faster than than uh, revenue in most cases. Yeah, and all these Wall Street reports, and I've probably read, read fifteen to twenty of them. They always kind of do pros and cons and cons. Uh, the number one thing they have all picked up is fulfillment costs are rising. Now it, it's hard to pick that apart because, um, Amazon has two buckets and they're constantly moving around what's in these buckets. Uh, again, kind of makes you wonder what's going on. They're building so many fulfillment centers. I think you and I talked about it. Uh, you know, when we go through the news, I always kind of rattle off three or four new fulfillment centers. Um, they're essentially building out 30% growth in square footage of fulfillment centers. And, to do that, a lot of that's front end loaded, and uh, they have to the accounting rules make them take some of it up front and some of it spread out. So some of that does get distorted by the accounting rules around building more things. But at the end of the day, they're just shipping a massive amount of free product, and and that's getting more and more expensive. So um, I do think they have. That's another reason I kind of continue to think they'll continue to chip away at that by doing direct delivery. I think a lot of that goes into the pockets of UPS. Uh, I think they're like three quarters UPS, a quarter um, other, which is FedEx and USPS. Uh, I think they chip away at that over time pretty aggressively. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. And uh, that that's going to be an interesting one to continue to follow. Again, uh, expenses are going up, but their investments are just uh, huge and nobody's uh, keeping pace there. And you can assume Everyone else that's growing, their their fulfillment costs are going up too, uh, but they they may have less uh, of a long term solution than Amazon does with all those investments. Two two quickies, and then uh, turned over to you for the last kind of piece we wanted to hit on. So uh, a quick one: uh, cloud services, which is called AWS. So first of all, both Google and Microsoft are doing really well on cloud. It's turned into a three horse race. Um, I don't hear IBM come up a lot in cloud computing, um, so I think. They're getting kind of left in the dust. You may have a different opinion of that. I'm curious to hear it. Um, but uh, Amazon Web Services grew 41% year over year and is now an $18 billion business. The margins on this are a lot like those marketplace type margins I was talking about. It's, it's 
pure, you know, very high gross margins, very high net margins. Uh, and what's impressive is uh, this is a kind of a subscription kind of businesses. So the annual run rate kind of scales up and doesn't have seasonality like we do in, in a retail business. Last quarter, it was a $16 billion a year annual run rate. Now, this quarter, it grew so much, it's an $18 billion annual run rate. So so this is, this is wildly successful. And part of the margin beat was thanks to AWS. Um, Another kind of update, a couple things we've talked about on the show. Number one is uh, Jeff Bezos being the richest man. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, that kind of hits this point. He crosses um, gates at $1,000. So whenever Amazon uh, goes above that, uh, it happens. So it has surged now up to kind of this 1100 And uh uh, aside from some unforeseen thing happening, I think it'll stay above there for a while, and and therefore he is the richest person again. So that congrats, Jeff, um, uh, on that. Hopefully you can buy more rockets and stuff like that. Uh, the other thing is really there's this interesting kind of race to the first trillion dollar market cap company. So after the announcement, here's kind of the current order as of the recording of this show. I'll do it in reverse order, David Letterman style. Number five, we have Facebook at a $516 billion market cap. So a little over halfway there to a trillion. Um, number four, we have Amazon, which was the last and is now leapt in front of Facebook at $530 billion. Next, you have Microsoft at $646 billion, the third largest market cap company. And then number two, you have Google, which is now called Alphabet, at $715 billion. And then number one, drumroll, Apple at $842 billion. Um, Apple's entire chances of getting there really rely on uh, the iPhone 10. So I'm glad you were able to get your orders in because – um, if they have, you know, this is kind of being called a monster upgrade quarter for them. And if, if it comes in the way uh, everyone thinks it will, then uh, they may actually get there before Amazon. We'll see. It, it would take about a 20% jump in their stock to get them to a trillion dollars. So it all hinges on how this new iPhone does. Um, the the counter argument to that is they rumor is they only made three or four million of them, which is why uh, everyone had a hard time getting them in those first 15 minutes. So and and there's components there that are hard to get to. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. We'll update you on this race to a trillion dollars and and how it goes. And then um, I think the last thing we wanted to cover wasn't really tied to the third quarter. It came out right before then. Uh, and it was some shocking news around something new that Amazon's doing. Yeah, a, a reporter uncovered. Uh, that Amazon had been um, issued a uh, a mail order prescription license in at least twelve states, and so that's some pretty strong evidence that Amazon is getting into the prescription pharmaceutical business. And I, uh, quick side note: uh, prescription pharmaceuticals includes both drugs, but also there's a lot of um, prescription medical equipment um, that that potentially is in that market as well. And so uh, as we've seen in a bunch of other industries lately where uh, when you get that first indication that Amazon's entering the category, uh, we saw all the traditional player stocks take a quick dump. Um, so they are down like 4 to 6% for Walmart, Rite Aid, CVS. Um, and serendipitously, we saw CVS announce this potential acquisition of Aetna. And uh, we we thought we talk about like Whole Foods is a big acquisition. This Aetna acquisition would be something on the order of magnitude of sixty billion dollars. Um, but there's there's uh, something very interesting about so in the same week seeing uh, Amazon become a, a potential pharmacy, and that same week seeing CVS try to get out of the pharmacy business and become an insurance company. Um, 
that that could go down as one of the smarter moves uh, of of the 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 um, decade. We'll ha- we'll have to see. Uh, but that I really think this this uh, retail drug industry is at a huge inflection point and potentially in great jeopardy because these. All these stores are are uh, stores that primarily sell merchandise out of convenience. They sell them at generally the highest price points, and the way they're able to do that is sixty percent of the traffic in all their stores are coming in to pick up that that prescription in the back of the store. Um, and while they're in there, they serendipitously discover other items and buy them for convenience or whatever else. So if Amazon or anyone else is able to take a meaningful chunk out of that walk-in prescription business via uh, digital ordering and, and home delivery of prescriptions, um, it's very hard to imagine how any of those drug stores continue to operate or at least operate uh, looking anything like the way they look today. And I would just add, you know, Amazon's the scariest competitor you could possibly have in your space. But there, have already, there already are a bunch of digital startups in these other states that maybe only have a license in one state. Uh, but I think of a, a company like Capsule in New York, which is doing a terrific job of disrupting the, the experience for prescription drugs in New York. And you go, man, if, if Amazon can scale that out to, to all states, um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, what that looks like for the, the future of, of uh, your corner drugstore. Yeah, and another uh, news story in that vein, uh, Walgreens and Rite Aid are, are merging, and as part of that, they identified 600 stores they're going to close. Um, I think all those are going to be Rite Aids, and, and there's 2,000 Rite Aids, so that's like, you know, uh, let me do the math there, 6, 20, 3, 10, 30% of the stores are going to close. So um, already going to see a lot of stores closing as, the, as these guys kind of consolidate and get ready for for the oncoming Amazon onslaught. So um, we'll see. Do you know, are we over drugstored? Is there, I know you talk a lot about being over, over retailed. Uh, is there, are we over drugstored at, to the same degree? So that's a great question. I have not seen any stats on the like drugstore density per capita relative to other um, geographies. So I, I don't know. I, I'm going to go do a search right after this show and see if, if there's any data sets out there. Um, but it is, you know, uh, to the extent that the drugstores overlap outside of prescriptions, they overlap a lot of other store types, right? Like you, you can get your your toothpaste at a drugstore or a grocery store or a superstore. Um, they they certainly fall into that, you know, that that big bucket of being overstored. And you know, in the same way, you could think about uh, when a bunch of the sporting goods specialty retailers in the U.S. closed. Uh, that that had a particularly uh, profound effect on vendors like Under Armour that didn't have a lot of direct-to-consumer distribution. Uh, there's a ton of products that are primarily distributed through these drugstores. Um, and to your point, like if a bunch of those stores throws closed because of consolidation or because of consolidation and Amazon competition or any of these things, um, you know, there there's a ton of product providers that are suddenly going to be left without uh, the the level of distribution that they're used to, and that's going to dramatically affect uh, their financial fortunes as well. Yeah, so another industry potentially being disrupted by Amazon. We'll have to see how it plays out. For sure. 
Cool. Thanks for joining us for this quick take on Amazon's third quarter results. Uh, if we were going to summarize it, I would say this is what Wall Street would call a clean beat and raise. So this really sets up Amazon for a huge fourth quarter. Uh, I mentioned the updated guidance there that has a 32% growth rate at the midpoint. Um, this is coming after Amazon blew away the previous guidance. So you could even see getting north of 36% if, if they repeat that. Um, Amazon cited the growth in Prime subscribers due to Prime Day, international acceleration, uh, and then some of the growth in other areas like ads and Amazon Web Services. And then they really highlighted what's going on with Echo slash Alexa and the whole conversational uh, commerce. So these are some of our favorite topics, and we will continue to keep you updated on them at The Jason Scott Show. Absolutely. And because Amazon blew away their guidance so much, uh, we felt empowered to blow away our hour budget as well. So uh, apologize for the slightly extended edition of the show, but we think it's all super interesting and uh, hopefully potentially useful to you in uh, your day job. So if you'd like to continue the conversation, we'd uh, love for you to join us on Facebook. And of course, uh, as always, if you enjoyed today's show, we really appreciate you jumping on the iTunes and giving us that five-star review. Uh, if you didn't love today's show, we certainly encourage you to send a private email to Scott. Um, and uh, with that, uh, we want to thank everyone very much for listening. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.